0: times in our lives seem confusing and your world appears to be just a little too crazy. Go ahead and take a rest here. Laugh, learn, enjoy a little bit from the lives of others with author and business coach Dennis Mansfield. Then share it with others because joy is just around the
1: corner. Welcome to Just Around the Corner, I'm Dennis Mansfield, join me as I travel give commentary on cultural events of the past and the present, and as I review entertainment trends and passions. Hope you enjoy the show today. Well, welcome back to the podcast episode today. We are talking, as we often do, about culture, about entertainment, and travel. We hope to have an enjoyable show for you, one that will keep your attention and have you keep on listening. If you're new to the podcast, we'd ask you to go back and listen to some of the other ones, the old ones, as we've uh, really grown over this last year. And it's been a lot of fun, a lot of joy. So today we will start with culture. Ladies and gentlemen, when you think about culture, many things go through all of our minds. I, I you know, I, I, When I was a kid, I remember thinking, Culture is what rich people have. When they talk like they're British, I've got culture. And someone else would say, no, 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 that's not it. Culture isn't that. Culture is like, hey, are you Italian? You are Italian? I'm Italian. Or if you're Irish, you're in my same culture. But the truth of it is the American culture is a blend. It's not, um, it's not so much a, a soup as much as it is a stew. where the different parts of the culture all come together so that we can taste the American experience. Well, today we're going to talk about the culture from the 90s to now. With me is Meg Rowe. Meg, it's an honor to have you on. Normally you come in with a great impact and input on uh, entertainment. Entertainment with Meg. Well, today we're going to have uh, culture, entertainment, and travel with Meg and with Dennis. And and ladies and gentlemen, I don't think I've ever brought this up in the, um, in the different episodes. Here you go. Meg Rowe is my daughter.
0: Absolutely.
1: And my favorite one. Why are you my favorite daughter? Because I'm the only one. Indeed, she is. We have a story to tell you about how she has been a part of our family in incredible ways. So let's start with culture. You know, uh, 36 years old, and you have been... Uh, the, not just observer, but a participant in the culture wars. Is that a good way to say it from the 1990s on 1990 was 30 years ago. That puts you at age six.
0: Oh, it makes me feel so old.
1: <laughs> All right. So I'll let you give the story on how you came as a little kid into observing the culture of America.
0: Well, um, we moved to Idaho when I was little from Southern California. And so that was a culture shock in and of itself. Even just the, you know, the warmth of Southern California and running around barefoot and swimming in October to coming up to Idaho where it's cold. It's winter and
1: it snows on Halloween.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It did that year too. It was cold, cold year, but, um, man, the culture that we were raised in was a Christian culture, homeschool culture, Uh, very politically minded, and uh, very conservative. And it definitely has been impactful and shaped who I am as an adult. And in in very good, sometimes not so good ways. Uh, I wouldn't change it for the world because obviously it's made me who I am. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think of who we are and why we are the way we are. Because our parents decide certain things and we learn about those things. And, and you know, I, I think of what a different person I would be if we lived in California and how thankful I am that we moved to Idaho. Just that one cultural shift changed everything for me.
1: So three decades later, you are a mom of three children.
0: Well, two and a half.
1: Well, well, two and three quarters or two and, gosh, eight ninths. You're due any day now, aren't you? Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm doing a couple weeks. Baby needs to cook a little bit longer.
1: A little bit more. A little bit longer. You know, a little bun in the oven. And, uh, and, and you're a mom looking at your kids who are uh, 12, almost 13, and eight, and, and soon to be newborn. And so the culture that you came into in the Pacific Northwest, again, we happen to live in Boise, Idaho, um, but but it was more than just the weather and more than just the fact that Idaho is what America was, that's sort of one of the mottos of, of Idaho and continues to be. But it's also that from a political point of view, you as a child were thrust into a conversation at the table with mom and dad who talked about things that most mom and dads do not talk about at dinner with six and seven and eight-year-old kids. Nate, uh, your brother was, I believe, 10 when we, when we came. And and he became well-versed on many things. We were conservatives. We came up with an organization called Focus on the Family. James Dobson was the founder of it. And I got to be the founder of something in Idaho called the Idaho Family Forum. It worked in association with Focus on the Family. And I was there for 10 years. Well, guess what? You were there for 10
0: years. Yeah. 10 pretty pivotal years. And I was seven when we moved up here. And When you were done i was 17 so most of my childhood was very much political and and i loved it loved every minute of it now as an adult i stepped back from politics a little bit because it was it was a huge deal when i was younger and i and i kind of see both sides now of being really engrossed in politics and understanding that there's a lot of other things as well in life
1: one of the first things i remember uh, when you began to examine uh, and watch your father as a lobbyist down at the Capitol, I would be down there. Uh, I would take you occasionally. A little later, it became more occasional. And at a certain point, you were there almost every day. And you can talk about that. But uh, as a child, you wrote a letter to the editor. And yet the, the letter wasn't really a letter to the editor at first. It was a letter to your neighborhood. <laughs> yep. And and you were, what, seven, eight years old, maybe? Entitled,
0: Things About Abortion.
1: As an eight-year-old, seven-year-old.
0: My my mom was pregnant with my younger brother at the time. And I couldn't understand how anyone could feel a baby in the womb and still think that that baby wasn't a person or that that baby didn't have any rights or shouldn't have any rights or shouldn't have the chance to live. And I think... When you're little, things are so black and white and you don't, you don't know the politics of you know, women saying, well, what about, what about in the case of a rape or, you know, kids don't think about that. Kids only think about, wait a second, this baby is a baby and any baby that's in a mama's tummy is a baby. So what'd you do? So I wrote a little letter and it's all misspelled. It's adorable. I still have it somewhere. And, uh. We made copies of it, and I passed it around the neighborhood and I don't know who submitted it to letter to letters to the editor but but one day it showed up in the newspaper and somebody brought it over. I think it was one of your good friends brought it over to us, so he probably did it. but um, I remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, people are reading my words, and I don't know what kind of impact it made, but and it was important to me to stand up for what I believed in, and I have always felt that way um. Ever since then.
1: At age 36, you have a baby in your belly.
0: I sure do. He's kicking right now. Is he? Yep.
1: And his little boy. Little boy. And your name for the baby is?
0: His name is Dax Nathan.
1: What are the reasons?
0: Dax because I just love the name Dax. It means leader, which I think is really important. Meanings of names are very important. We live up to, I believe we live up to what our name means. And Nathan, after my deceased older brother... And his name means gift of God. So, yeah.
1: it's Pretty amazing.
0: I'm pretty excited to have this little boy.
1: So the culture of your childhood was sitting around uh, the table at dinner, talking about things like um, why there should be choice in education. Yeah. A mother that had been in the union in California for the teachers union, because all teachers had to be in that, no right to work there, who had come up and decided to put our children, you, your brother, into a homeschooling environment. And then eventually uh, we moved you into Christian school. And and eventually you came back to homeschooling. And uh, that was a whole journey there as well. But at the table each night, we would sit and talk. And you began to sharpen your own debate skills.
0: Sure did. Man, I could argue with the best of them, I feel like. And I enjoyed it, you know. Little
1: nine-year-old arguing. Yeah. Little 10-year-old. Debating, a little
0: sassy.
1: <laughs> I don't think you were sassy. I was an eyewitness. I think you were just very passionate about your perspective. The world needs passionate people. It's not just that they they need to be passionate on the left, or they you know are right for being passionate on the right. It's that passion. The word itself means struggle. That we struggle with the things of life. It's one of the reasons of the, the beauty of the republic form of government we have, that we don't just have a leftist government. We have a government of left and right that moves together for a central government so that the culture itself has aspects that are liberal and aspects that are conservative.
0: Which I think is something that so many people have forgotten that we do need both sides, that it's important to see both sides of the issues that we need to have compassion towards each other in, in understanding that we have different perspectives and that everybody comes from their own specific background. And it doesn't make them bad or wrong. It just makes their viewpoint different. And I really hate what we see right now with such polar opposite ideals. And basically, if you don't believe the same way I do, you're an idiot. And and that's just, ugh, it makes uh, me so sad. We need to remember to have love and compassion and people yeah. are people.
1: I think, uh, you know, as we wind down this section, and of course, uh, in the next episode, we'll deal with it some more. But as we wind down this section... You know, we hear often about a generation that's woke. well, the the concept of being woke is that you were asleep at one time. And the truth of the matter is you were never asleep as a little kid. I guess not. never. I mean, i I saw you um and, and as we come back uh, next next episode, we'll talk about how you became a lobbyist at what age?
0: Oh, I think I was thirteen or
1: fourteen at the state capitol. to today, You are the youngest lobbyist that ever, ever served in the Idaho State Legislature.
0: Pretty great having those lobbyist privileges.
1: (laughs) Well, we'll hear more about the culture of what's happening now. Possibly get some ideas about where we're going. Mm. For right now, we just want to leave you with a thought under under culture that it's a it's a question I had to ask myself over and over again after my own son, your brother Nate, died, and that is what if I'm wrong in my thinking? What if I'm wrong? What if the things that I hold to are just because I've systematically held to them because I'm loyal to some set of values? But in the bigger picture of life, where gravity is 32 feet per second per second, and natural law demands that the earth turn and the sun move, and all these things are there, that those things are what's really real. And 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 my opinion might just be that. My opinion. More when we come back. If you
0: ever plan to move to west, welcome
1: to the Brown Sign Brothers from Boise. Chas, we highlight interesting way, places that most people, people just pass highway, by bass, at seventy miles an hour on the freeway. Exit with us, won't you? Look up ahead. There's a freeway brown sign. I wonder what it's saying. You can almost hear the tires. Of the car on the concrete. When you think back to your childhood, to my childhood, to other people when they talk about their childhood, uh, they they took road trips. They they were uh, in an RV with their grandparents, or they they were in a station wagon with their parents, or or a van, and they traveled and they traveled and they traveled. Well, you know, in our segment on travel today, I have the very unique opportunity with my own daughter Meg Rowe to be uh, c- continuing our conversation today is really a podcast episode about Meg and Dan Meg and dad. And so uh, as we think about travel, you know, I can't help but remember back as an Air Force dependent, my father was an um, Air Force man from the start, the first day of the Air Force. He was sworn in literally the first day. And he had been in the Navy and been in the Army when the Air Force happened. Boom, he goes into it. So that meant we moved a lot. And about every two and a half or three years, my sister Kathy, my brother Gary, myself, we would start moving. Then we had my sister or our sister Janet, and we kept moving. Well, then Joanne came and we kept moving and Joyce and kept moving and Ken and we kept moving. It's one of the reasons why Ken and I are the Brownstein brothers from Boise because we literally were the sign brothers from the time we were born. You know, me with the other older half, him with the younger half. And and so in that, uh, there was inculcated in us a desire to see what's next. Not that this was bad where we were, but we knew, you know, the rhythm, the rhythm, the rhythm, the tires. Okay, go. And we're off from Texas to Michigan, from Michigan to California. We're to Germany. We're, you know, all throughout Europe. And I remember, this is one of the coolest things i was probably 18 months or two two years old and i remember flying in an airplane across the atlantic in you know 1958 or something And those airplanes i
0: bet there were smokers in that airplane you know it's where i learned to puff away as a two-year-old that sounds terrible (laughs) and and when we landed
1: we landed at a uh, someplace right on the border of Germany and France and there was French influence and there was German influence and there Think was about Bavarian. about the good bread you had. Oh and, and it, chocolate. Chocolate. It's mm-hmm. one of the ways that I became okay I'm Dennis and I'm a chocoholic.
0: <laughs> That's why if you have read his book which you should read. Which book is that? Trust in What You Cannot See.
1: It's a shameful plug. Uh,
0: Well, I plugged it, so it's not shameful. Uh, He is constantly drinking hot chocolate in it. Well, the characters Mm. are. And they're constantly uh, eating delicious pastries. It's all because of his childhood.
1: It is. And, And when a child grows up in Germany and then suddenly moves to Texas and has a belt buckle that says Lone Star State. And then goes to Michigan. Imagine
0: that culture shock.
1: And then goes to Michigan, where they don't have doorbells at that time. You would simply, as a little kid, go up to the door and knock on it and then say, say that your friend was Jimmy.
0: Jimmy, Jimmy. You know what? I didn't believe you on this. And then this summer or last summer, you confirmed it to me. But then I had a good friend who moved to Michigan. She came back and visited this summer. And I asked her, does this happen in your neighborhood in Michigan? And she laughed and said, yeah, all the time. It's so weird. So I guess that's the thing.
1: Travel and culture colliding right there. Totally. Now that's, that's a, you know, just a sort of patchwork quilt of my travels as a kid. But that became something because I had the honor of being your father as you grew up. I still do. That's correct. But as a child and you grew up traveling. Walk us through what it was like for travel for a little kid who grew to love travel so much that as an adult, she's still traveling.
0: Man, my first thoughts of traveling. Well, I know you guys got some sort of award for bringing this tiniest baby to a class reunion, and that was me. So right. that was the first time I was on an airplane. Um, but as far as far as far as travel that I can remember that wasn't visiting family, I remember going to Mexico. We went to this little tiny town in Mexico and visited some people who worked for you that were wintering down there, is that right? And um man, just just the culture shock of we went to the beach one day and they loaded up they, they loaded up the couches from their front room into the back of the truck. And then we sat on the couches on the way to the beach and then we unloaded the couches at the beach cuz why sit on the sand when you could sit on your own couch and
1: that is absolutely <laughs> an accurate memory
0: i just remember thinking wow so different here and loving it and the sights and the smells and the the weather and um i have blue eyes so all the all the girls wanted to look at me and touch my hair and look at my blue eyes and my very very white skin and um just you, have, you had
1: a snow white complexion it was yeah, really remarkable,
0: yeah, so just just that was a you know first blush at travel, but then you kept traveling, yeah, and when I was twelve, we went to Europe, we went on a mission trip to Europe and um that's a whole nother story, but I thought we were gonna go to something similar to America, you know it was first world and it's Europe, right don't they live exactly like us and Um, I had the pleasure of staying in a few people's homes and they do not live like us. They live very differently. Their homes are explain that. Oh, their homes are smaller and their kitchens are much smaller. And they're like living in Ikea. Yeah. Kind of (laughs) except for Ikea in America, at least has full size refrigerators and meals. Yeah. They do not have that there. And I remember we washed our clothes and this is in Denmark and it took like two or three times as long to get the clothes washed. And then when I pulled them out, I realized they did not have a dryer in Denmark. They didn't have a dryer. And I was. Wait, wait. wait.
1: In the sunny tropical climate of Denmark. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, the Nordic region of Europe, they did not have dryers. And, and I just thought, like, what in the heck is this? This is so different. I never thought they were backwards or wrong or anything like that. I just remember thinking, wow, they live really differently than us. and that's good. That's different. And it's good. And I have gone to Europe several different times and have loved every experience I've had there, whether it be in, in Northern Europe or Southern Italy. And it's just vastly different.
1: Um, well, you know, as a child, you did this. I mean, my heavens, you were in the Dominican Republic. Uh, you traveled to Israel uh, th- there were a number of places that you went to as a child.
0: Yeah, yeah, Israel. When I was fifteen, the day I got my driver's license, we flew to Israel. <laughs> I don't know if you remember.
1: That. I do very well.
0: And then I went to the Dominican Republic with um, some friends on a missions trip, and we we got to meet with the locals, and we did a vacation Bible school for the kids, and I remember thinking, okay, I know what third world is because of Mexico, having been to small villages in Mexico. But going to a country that's classified as third world in the Caribbean is entirely different, different kind of third world, incredibly different, different culture, different food, different ethnicity, different language. Um, What,
1: What was it more like? I mean, Spanish was there.
0: Yeah. Uh, just darker skinned, more black influence. Um, and just, you know, the the jerk chicken that you think of when you think of Jamaica, that sort of spicy flavor that's oh, yeah. different than Mexican uh, spicy and I don't know. It just, it was so different and yet really amazing to see. and And then I spent, when I was 18, before I got married, I spent six months in Australia and had the pleasure of going to Thailand while I was in Australia. And again thinking Australia was going to be like America, only they drive on the other side of the street. And they're not. It's different. It's just different. And it's so good. And it's so wonderful. And I loved it there. And the culture and the people are beautiful and wonderful. But they're not American. No, it's, they're not. It's, it's different. And, and, and
1: all I can say to that is Bob's your uncle.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I'd hear that and I'd go, actually, I don't have an uncle named Bob. Fair dinkum. Fair, fair dinkum.
0: Fair dinkum. See, there we go.
1: I mean, where do these things come from? Well, howdy. Y'all, where do these things come from? From America. You know, and, and yet we're used to those um uh, kind of iconic uh expressions. Well the, the 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 Australian way of life was their way of life, and suddenly you were an outsider right in the middle. How long yeah, did you I was that?
0: the one that had the accent. Yes. It was pretty fun actually. It, I was there you? for I was there for six months. Um and I spent one of those months in in Thailand.
1: Tell everybody what you did in Thailand. You know, travel can be uh, wonderful in the sense of viewing things and listening and eating things, but you did something different in that month.
0: Yeah. That month, uh, so the organization that I was with was called Youth with a Mission, and it is a, uh, the, the school that I did was called a Discipleship Training School, and it's really a school about learning who you are in God, but there's this month or two months, depending on where you go, that you reach out and love people where they're at. And so I was on a on a group of, I think there were 12 of us girls who went. Uh, and we went to the red light district in Thailand. We went to the main red light district in Bangkok. And then we went to Pattaya, which is a city that is well known for its brothels. And the whole city is pretty much... A brothel um and we worked with organizations that were already established there helping women to leave prostitution and to have other careers
1: did, did they want to exit uh, prostitution
0: some did some did and some didn't and uh you know the money can be really good and the self-worth uh if you've been in it a long time i think that the women just don't think they have any self-worth and, you know, it's the first time that I really understood why prostitution was put in the Bible. Jesus talked to prostitutes and Jesus loved them where they were at and said, you can, you can get past this and you can do better. And I think he did that because prostitution is something that is so, so difficult and so heartbreaking and crushes the soul. And Jesus specifically targeted that so these women can see that it's not some a sin or something that, that they can't, can't be related to in the Bible, but they actually see that Jesus seeks them out. And I think that that was so powerful to me and still is to this day to think that, that it, it goes across generations. This is something that has been around forever and ever and ever. And Jesus cares about those people the same from, from biblical times till now. And it's, it makes a huge difference.
1: So, ladies and gentlemen, when you think about your own travel experiences and you've gone on cruises and you've gone to the areas that are protected when you're in the Mexico or in the Caribbean, and, and it's just a fun time. There's nothing wrong with that. There's oh, I've a definitely great done a
0: lot of those trips, Yes, you too. have. You have. Several and, cruises. Well, we we love Mexico. About, we will talk
1: about that in the next episode. But I want I want our listeners to realize that just the act of travel is that you always take yourself wherever you go. So the real question is, who are you that you're taking with you? In other words, what are the values, what are the things that hold you, make you, mold you into what you? What, the, the best example of you, the best sort of uh, copy of you for the future? Because I think ultimately that's all of our goals. When we travel, uh, we're hoping to see the next great thing. Part of that is seeing the next great part of our own lives.
0: Watching TV. The television is one of the best inventions of human history. See,
1: I told you. The man said so himself.
0: It's a movie now, yes. But the movie's been televised. It's coming to us over the air like radio.
1: George Fulham, let me smell your breath. Today's show is about television shows with Meg. Meg Rowe, you are the lead agent on all this. These uh, incredible comments about shows and things. Uh, what's the general topic we ought to be talking about today?
0: We're going to talk about binge watching or binge worthy TV shows. Binge
1: worthy, okay? Because you could binge watch on anything.
0: Pretty much. And
1: during the period of the of COVID nineteen, many people say what when they turn on Netflix.
0: Oh, there's nothing to watch because I've watched it all.
1: <laughs> Not just every type of show but every episode of that type of show absolutely yeah, we've all
0: watched more tv this year than we thought humanly possible it's like it's I like think, l- anyways I at least think, that's in my house
1: well it's it's like it's like working at a seized candy thing at a factory oh, man that nougat looks good mm-hmm.
0: look another caramel mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like after a while can somebody giving me carrots it just makes me think of the the I Love Lucy episode where they're working in the candy, the candy <laughs> line. Scene. You haven't
1: seen it. Oh, it's so funny. I Love Lucy chocolate candy line. You'll love it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about binge worthy
0: shows. So Meg, let's start with the first one. Well, the first show I ever binged, which was before binging was really a thing and we sort of downloaded them illegally. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so bad. We we watched Alias. Oh, such a good show for the first couple seasons. And then it gets super weird. But it... Oh, What's so What's the good. premise? For those that
1: do not know Alias, give us the overall 30,000 foot it's a It's your premise. classic
0: spy show. And this gal, played by Jennifer Garner, gets gets recruited and so then she's a spy but it turns out she finds out she's not actually working for the American government so then she turns into a a A counter spy yeah double spy double agent Uh Uh and um and it's just her story and there's lots of great costumes and it was the first television show that I really loved with a female lead that could kick butt and take names and I don't know, it's just so great and she she did such a good job. Now Bradley Cooper came
1: from that. Yeah. He went yep. in to stardom because of
0: that. Yep. What was his role? I believe that was his first his first gig. Uh he worked with her in, in the one of the agencies and yeah, he was a great side character. And I remember thinking, I think he'll do something. He's he's a he's a decent guy. And it's so funny to see his career now. And oh. if you go back and watch those episodes He's so young. It's so funny. Well, that show
1: lasted from 2001 to 2006. Yep. But because of Netflix, because of the opportunity to binge, this is a worthy one for people to binge who like suspenseful, plot-twisting kind of television yeah, shows. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I would recommend it. At least the first two seasons. Season three gets a little bit weird, so just... Explain what you mean by that. Uh. Without spoiling. them. Yeah. After she dies. <laughs> she doesn't die she doesn't die um just take my word for it just what
1: well, makes you want to go it's see
0: a jj it. abrams creation so if you know anything about how jj abrams likes to likes to start a really good show but sometimes it goes weird places yeah. then you'll understand
1: and so at this point it went for five seasons and you've seen every one of them
0: Sure have I. I stuck with it and watched all the weirdo stuff. Have you? And have you, I still really loved it. It was just a little. Have weird. you ever
1: gone back and has it been binge worthy for a second time?
0: Oh, absolutely. I was actually just oh, thinking I, I should watch it with my son. He's almost thirteen, and I think he would enjoy it.
1: Well, for me, um, I loved and do love Blacklist. Was
0: that the first one you binged?
1: It really was. Uh, I mean, it's a relatively new show. Obviously, to, you know, two thousand thirteen to. To the to present, but but I remember being attracted to the character Red Reddington from the very start, and season one episode one, he's literally outside of the CIA uh, headquarters in Washington D.C. with a lunch, and he puts the lunch down and he gets up and he walks into the kind of main area entrance lobby of the CIA and gets on his knees and puts his hands behind his head, and he surrenders. A- and it's that classic quality story where, who is he? How did he get here? What is he doing? And why don't those people like him? Then I realized why. As they gave the background on him, he went to Annapolis. See, had he gone <laughs> to West Point, like, I don't know, like your father and your brother, people would have made him head of the CIA.
0: I don't know. He should have maybe gone to Air Force Academy.
1: Yeah, then he'd... I feel
0: like Air Force is the yeah, clear saying... winner here. Yeah, it's
1: a very good the one. Did you say winner. the chair Force. I was listening.
0: Oh, what? I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry.
1: Red Reddington.
0: My husband is in the Air Force. This is why we have this oh, little yes, bit of a yes.
1: and your, banter. your grandfather, indeed.
0: Yes, and I think my grandfather was the most proud of my husband because he was the only one to go into the Air Force out of all of my cousins.
1: Yes, he was. That brown noser. Anyway, uh, so (laughs) Red
0: Red Reddington comes in,
1: and the story unfolds. And at the first show, I I looked at Mom, to My Bride
0: Susan, and I went, wow, what did we just watch? It's a really good show. I have to agree. I think that though, Alias kind of opened the door for some bold female characters because Elizabeth Keene is a huge player in that show. In, in
1: Blacklist. In Blacklist. Yes.
0: And I think that she kind of, Jennifer Garner set the stage for all these good female lead roles you know, in the spy scene world, I
1: think. It's anyways. an interesting thing because it's real entertainment in the sense that you, you, sus- you willingly suspend your disbelief and that female character could actually do this and that female character would do that. Just the other day, I happened to stumble across an old, old television show that's not worthy of binging. It's called The Greatest American Hero. And it had a song to it that actually became more popular than the television show, I think. But it lasted for two, three, four seasons. And then the very last season, the character, who was a Superman-type person, gave up his suit, and a woman took the suit and became the greatest American heroine. Yeah. And it went nowhere because the storyline wasn't worthy of taking it on to be, you know, a, a second level for the show to continue. And, and it was forced. You could, you did not, I did not, as a viewer, willingly suspend my disbelief. So that's why when I do see from Blacklist or Alias or maybe some of the ones, ladies and gentlemen uh, listening, that you've really enjoyed and you're a guy and you really see that female character, kick butt and take names, or you're a girl, you're, you're a lady, a female, and you really love the fact that Bradley Cooper did what he did and was obviously a handsome guy that he was and skillful guy and great actor that he was on and on. We get to enjoy them without feeling like in our lives, our lives are less important because we're not in that spy world. We get to live vicariously through them. That's the beauty of entertainment, whether it's in the films, on the theater stage or in television on Netflix. So when we come back uh, for the next episode, do you mind if we continue on with binging, uh, binge worthy discussions?
0: Yes. Are you ready? Are you loaded for bear on that one? Ready.
1: Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, we we thank you for being a part of the podcast. If you want to join us uh, by letting other people know about the show, we'd love you to pass on. Or uh, to your friends and family, my website is dennismansfield.com. You can see the work I've done with books, with pod, the podcast itself, the coaching that I do, and um, quite frankly, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to go to that, email me. I'd love to get some feedback from you, Meg. Thank you so much for this particular episode.
0: Thanks and, for having uh, me.
1: You're you're good. You 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 want to come back uh, for the next one? Sure. Let's sure. Do it. I mean, I'm not your dad pulling a deal here, am I?
0: Nope, I'll, I'll come back All right, of my own
1: accord. Man, oh man, I love this girl. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next time. Just Around the Corner is a feature of DennisMansfield.com. For more information on the travel episodes, please text Brown Sign Bros, that's Brown Sign Bros, to 72,000. Or Brown Sign Faith to 72,000. Visit Amazon.com for books by Dennis Mansfield. I think you'll like them. Many thanks to Michael Seals for production work and for the original music. Acknowledgements to the Traveling Wilburys, to Nat King Cole, and Assorted Rock and Rollers, whose songs we occasionally sprinkle throughout the episodes. Kudos to Meg Rowe, History.com, Ken and Colin Mansfield, and My Bride Susan for their inspiration and information, for their hard work and encouragement to make possible Just Around the Corner. And finally, a wink and a nod to Kevin Miller in the morning on KIDO Radio. Boise, Idaho. Till next episode, this is Dennis Mansfield.